Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Scorched Earth. Western states forced to conserve water as rivers dry up. If you don't take it seriously now, you're insane. How bad will it get and what can be done? Arizona Democratic Senator Mark Kelly joins me exclusively in his first Sunday show interview ahead. Plus, more to come. A judge will decide whether to reveal more information about the Mar-a-Lago search. And former Vice President Pence says he'd consider talking to the January 6th committee. What more will Americans learn about the former president? January 6th committee member Congressman Adam Schiff will be here. And one-way ticket. Washington and New York struggle to cope as border states bust thousands of undocumented migrants up east. It's just a mean and cruel thing. What is the long-term solution on the border? Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw is coming up. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is wondering just how strong that red wave will be after months of Democratic concern and despite persistently high inflation. Democrats in Washington, D.C. are now feeling more hopeful about their chances to maintain control of the U.S. Senate this fall. Polling in key battleground states where Republicans had hoped to defend or pick up seats now appears to be trending blue. And Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is blaming, quote, candidate quality after a series of Trump-backed hopefuls with liabilities ranging from political clumsiness to outright extremism won their Republican Party nominations. And today, with less than three months until voters get their say, a new top issue is emerging out west, a multi-state drought worsened by the climate crisis. The Biden administration just announced strict new water restrictions for states in the Colorado River Basin, though some state leaders are pushing for longer-term solutions. As the region experiences the worst drought in literally centuries, my next guest has made addressing that crisis a centerpiece of his re-election campaign. And joining me now exclusively for his very first Sunday show interview as a senator, Democratic Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. So, you're, you're standing in front of the Phoenix Grand Canal in your home state of Arizona. That would, your state is in the midst of an unprecedented drought. The federal government just announced new restrictions that are going to cut Arizona's supply of the water from the Colorado River by 21 percent. What will those cuts mean for Arizonans? And, and will they actually do anything to address, address the core problem here, which is that there simply isn't enough water, at least in part because of the climate crisis? Well, well, Jake, let me, let me start by saying that uh, these cuts uh, were decided during the last administration. You know, the states working together to come up with a plan to deal with this unprecedented drought. Uh, we, we took cuts when Lake Mead fell below 1,075 feet above sea level, and now again below 1,050 feet. So, you know, we were anticipating this, and the states worked together uh, on this plan. And you're right, we have 
this climate crisis that is affecting water in the West. And these reservoirs, Lake Powell and Lake Mead, have gotten to what are now historic, historically low levels. And the rate of decline is such that we, we, we have to do more. Now, let me make it clear. You know, we've got other sources of water other than the Colorado River. I mean, this is water from the Salt River. Um, but the Colorado River is a good amount of our water. It's important for agriculture. It's important for, you know, communities across the state. But, you know, we're good at solving, you know, hard problems, and we're going to work our way through this one. So the Biden administration is currently warning that this drought could lead to a, quote, catastrophic collapse of the Colorado River system, which, as you note, is a critical water source for not just Arizona, but the entire region. So far, the Biden administration has largely left this issue to the states to resolve. And here's what you had to say about this issue back in June. Arizona's done everything that Arizona has been asked. And we're going to continue to step up here. But we need partners and long-term commitments from the federal government because this is a basin-wide problem, not just an Arizona problem. I mean, it's an existential crisis for your state and, and others, as I don't need to tell you. Is the Biden administration being too passive, too cautious? Well, first, first of all, it's not existential. Um, we've got solutions. I was able to add $8 billion into the bipartisan infrastructure bill for more water storage and resiliency and settling tribal water claims. More recently, in the Inflation Reduction Act, $4 billion to, to deal with this drought. So we do have the tools in place. What we don't have is the partnership right now with other states. Arizona has made an offer to put more and leave more water up in Lake Mead by far than any other state. So we need the other upper and lower basin states to step up and do their part. If they do that, we're not going to have a, as you say, a catastrophic collapse of the system. Uh, we will be able to stabilize it. Lake Mead and Lake Powell have been shrinking for decades and are currently at historically low levels. Uh, you're an astronaut. You, you've flown in space four times. Have you seen firsthand from space the effects of climate change on our planet? Yeah, I have. You know, I flew my first space flight in 2001 and my last one in 2011 when Gabby was in the hospital. Uh, that was four flights over a decade. And the deforestation that you see across the planet is evident from space. And if one guy can see changes in our planet from low Earth orbit, um, we've got a problem. And we're putting more carbon up into the atmosphere every year. Now, the Inflation Reduction Act is giving us some of the tools to deal with this and bring down the amount of carbon that we're putting in the atmosphere. And at the same time, it's allowing us to, to uh, create the renewable energy that we need here and build it in the United States and not have to buy stuff from China anymore. So that was a positive you know, first step. Hey, you know this, this climate crisis that we have and the situation we have in the West with wildfires and drought and the, you know, the snowpack you know, just evaporating instead of melting into the Colorado River, it's a challenge. But as I said, as Americans, we are really good at solving hard problems, especially engineering problems. So I'm confident, Jake, that we're going to work our way through this. Arizona is so important to the country. I mean, if you're, if you're eating like green lettuce in the winter, it came from Yuma County. So we have to solve this problem. And it's so important that the other states step up and do something about it. It just can't be on the state of Arizona. What states are you specifically talking about? What states are, are the problem and, and what is the problem? Is it the legislature? Is it the governors? Well, you know, upper basin states are Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. 
lower basin states, Nevada, California, and Arizona. So far, Arizona is the only one to put a, make a significant offer to leave additional water. I'm not talking about the 21% cut. I'm talking about additional water up in Lake Mead. So we need other states to step up. You know, specifically California gets a large portion of the water from the Colorado River. So it just can't be on us. This is about, it's also about food security for our entire nation. If Yuma County doesn't have the water it needs to grow produce, then that means that, you know, that those products are going to be more expensive across the entire country. I want to ask you about your Republican opponent in the upcoming uh, Arizona Senate election. Uh, He says Democrats want to, quote, change the demographics of the country. He has openly embraced Donald Trump's election lies. He has the support of a lot of openly racist, uh, notorious individuals. Uh, Your Uh, The Arizona uh, Republican nominee for governor uh, says the President Biden isn't a legitimate president. She says she wants her Democratic opponent in jail. Uh, The Republican nominee for Secretary of State in Arizona, he's a self-proclaimed member of the Oath Keepers. Um, You hold the seat once filled by John McCain, who was a conservative, but he did work across the aisle. He was very critical of voices like the ones I just mentioned, not them specifically, but that kind of what he would call Looney Tunes. What's happened to the Arizona Republican Party? Well, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think right now that uh, the folks you mentioned have some really dangerous ideas uh, and they're not consistent with most most Arizonans, even most Republicans in Arizona. So, you know, I'm hoping we can move away from that. You know, my Republican colleagues that I talked to in the United States Senate, you know, I mean, these are good, good people, you know, by and large, who are working really hard and they don't need those dangerous ideas in the United States Senate. Would you want President Biden to come to Arizona and campaign with you? Hey, I'll welcome anybody to come to Arizona, you know, travel around the state at any time, as long as I'm here, you know, if I'm not up in, uh, in Washington in session, and, and talk about what Arizona needs. This water situation is significant. And um, right now we have some of the tools necessary to deal with it. I'm trying to get uh, some answers from the Department of Interior on more, uh, like, what authority do they have to make some uh, decisions themselves on this? Because, as I said earlier, the other states are not stepping up to to help Arizona deal with this. Um, But if anybody wants to come to Arizona and talk about Arizona issues or issues that affect the country, I'll be here. Well, it's not exactly an open invitation to President Biden to, to come and campaign with you, even though he won the state of Arizona uh, in 2020, saying you'd welcome anybody. Do do, do you have concerns about whether uh, President Biden is the best candidate to keep Arizona blue in 2024? Not at all, Jake. All right, Senator Kelly, good to see you. Thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. I uh, really appreciate being on your show and uh, look forward to doing it again. And we should note, we have also invited Senator Kelly's opponent, Republican Blake Masters, uh, to join us uh, in an upcoming show. Former Vice President Mike Pence says he would consider testifying before the January 6th committee. We're going to get the latest from Congressman Adam Schiff on that next. And border governors are busing undocumented migrants up east. Texas Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw will join me to discuss that and much more coming up.
Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. The January 6th Select House Committee has promised new evidence and more witness testimony in hearings next month. Joining us now is committee member Congressman Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, and the author of Midnight in Washington, How We Almost Lost Our Democracy and Still Could. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us, or Mr. Chairman, I should say. You're also chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. So you asked for a damage assessment and a classified briefing uh, from the intelligence community last week regarding uh, the the raid on Mar-a-Lago, the search warrant on Mar-a-Lago. Have you heard back from the intelligence community? And do you have any concerns about the potential for this precedent, a search of a president's house, to be abused? Uh, We haven't uh, received a damage assessment yet. I assume that is being undertaken, and I have every expectation uh, that it will be shared with us. Uh, So I I look forward to that. Uh, We would also, I think, as a committee, like to see uh, what documents uh, that were marked uh, top secret SCI uh, were in the president's possession at Mar-a-Lago. This is very serious business. When uh, documents have those markings, it generally indicates that the source of information is very sensitive, and if the document itself were revealed, uh, it could jeopardize that source, and it might be a human source or a technical source. But you would not only expose the information in the document, uh, you would lose any future intelligence you might gain from the same source. So very serious business, and we want to get to the bottom of it. In terms of the precedent, I'm confident that uh, Merrick Garland uh, took every precaution, made every effort short of executing the search warrant uh, to obtain those documents, uh, and if the public reporting is correct that uh, that the, the Trump lawyers uh, asserted in an affidavit that they'd given all these documents up and the Justice Department had good reason to believe that wasn't true, uh, then it justifies uh, this uh, means of getting the information, the execution of a search warrant. Uh, so, yes, it's a uh, very powerful precedent. At the same time, uh, I'm confident that it was used appropriately uh, given the circumstances. A federal judge will consider releasing a redacted version of the FBI affidavit this Thursday. The Justice Department is, of course, asking to keep it sealed. They say that it could provide a roadmap for for potential defendants and witnesses. As a former prosecutor, what do you think we could learn from what's in this document? What's in this document? And do you agree that there's a clear public interest uh, in learning the justification, at least some of it, uh, for this uh, search? Well, you could learn a lot from the affidavit. You could learn uh, what witnesses may have seen in terms of the handling of those documents or people coming and going from where the documents were located. Uh, You could learn about uh, whether representations were made that proved to be false in terms of whether they've given up the classified information. Uh, You could learn a great deal. Uh, That's just the problem, though, uh, for the Justice Department. Uh, I think probably their concern is very legitimate. That is, that if this affidavit is revealed, it will put uh, those sources of information at risk. Uh, We've seen the president retaliate against anyone he considers a whistleblower, accuse them of treason. And of course, we've seen the president's incendiary rhetoric already lead someone to go to an FBI uh, building with a assault weapon uh, who was shot to death uh, by the FBI defending itself. Uh, So the risks the Justice Department identify are real. Uh, Now, the public interest is also real. But I think the question is, it, at what point in time does the public get to see that affidavit? And, and I think the Justice Department makes a powerful case that at the early stage of the investigation, when it could jeopardize uh, the pursuit of justice, this is not the time to be giving essentially the Trump lawyers 
a roadmap into how to intimidate witnesses or how to derail a legitimate investigation. But surely you understand the, the concerns expressed by, for instance, your Republican counterpart on the committee, uh, Congressman Turner of Ohio, uh, that a search this unprecedented, and I get the, that the president's behavior, Donald Trump's behavior, is, is potentially also unprecedented, but a search this unprecedented uh, requires oversight uh, by Congress to make sure uh, that everything is being done correctly and for the right reasons. Oh, absolutely. The question is, during a pending criminal investigation, at what point does Congress get access to Justice Department files? Uh, and I think whatever information is in that affidavit uh, that bears on uh, a danger to the national security information contained in those documents, I would hope that that would be shared with Congress, even if the affidavit is not. Uh, but I don't want to see Congress uh, or anyone else uh, interfere with the conduct of the investigation. Uh, I, I'd like to make sure that we do our oversight of that, but that we do it in such a way as not to jeopardize the pursuit of justice. There was an interesting comment made by Vice President Pence uh, a few days ago suggesting that he might be uh, available to testify before the January 6th House Committee uh, if an invitation uh, was extended. Has an invitation been extended? Uh, what was your response to that, your, your reaction? I was encouraged to hear it, uh, and I hope it meant what it sounded like it meant. We have been in discussion with the Vice President's counsel for some time, uh, so he knows of our interest in having him come before us. Uh, and I, I'm confident that if he is truly willing, uh, that there is a way to work out any executive privilege or separation of powers issues. There is, of course, nothing precluding the vice president, should he decide to, uh, to come before Congress. Uh, and I would hope, given the severity of the issues we're addressing here, an attack on our capital, an attack on our very democracy, uh, that he would be willing to come in. Uh, he could plainly share a lot of very first-hand information about uh, what it was like to be the subject of those efforts to get him to violate his constitutional duty and arrogate to himself the power to decide who won or who lost uh, an American presidential election. The daughter of prominent Putin ally Alexander Dugan, uh, who's been called Putin's brain and the spiritual guide of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, the daughter was killed in a car explosion yesterday. An acquaintance of the family said it was Dugan's car. Russia suggested Ukraine might be responsible. Ukraine is denying it. Uh, have you been briefed on anything having to do with this attack? Who might you think is uh, behind it? Uh, we have not yet been briefed on it, and I, I couldn't say who is behind it. Uh, there are so many uh, factions and uh, internecine uh, warfare within Russian society, within the Russian government. Uh, anything is possible. I certainly hope that if it was uh, an attack on either one of those people, uh, that it was an internal Russian affair and it wasn't something emanating from Ukraine. Um, we have seen terrible war crimes uh, by Russia against Ukraine, uh, and, uh, uh, and Russia should be held accountable. And I certainly would never want to see uh, anything like an attack on civilians uh, by Ukraine and, and hope that their representations are correct. The midterm elections are now just 79 days away. Speaker Pelosi has previously vowed to step down from leadership after this term. There's already been some jockeying behind the scenes to replace her as either Speaker or uh, House Minority Leader, uh, however the elections go. Would you want to be leader of the House Democratic Caucus? Well, first, I, I think the, the Speaker has been uh, truly the most uh, impressive, incredible, and productive Speaker in our history. Uh, so I hope that she'll stay. 
uh, if she makes the decision not to stay. Uh, right now, all I'm focused on is making sure that we are successful in this midterms and we have a majority uh, to pick the next speaker. Um, and frankly, I'm, I'm very uh, encouraged by the fact that momentum seems to be moving in our direction and we have a, a greater and greater chance of holding on to the majority and therefore holding on to our democracy. The chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Is the GOP becoming the party of defund the FBI? I'll ask former Navy SEAL, now U.S. Congressman Dan Crenshaw after this quick break. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. As we wait for more information on the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, Republican lawmakers are largely standing by former President Trump. And joining us now to discuss is Texas Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Congressman, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Jake, thanks for having me. It's a slow news week. I don't know what you want to talk about. <laughs> so let's. So there's a lot to get to. Um, let, let's start with the fact that you're a former Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have depended on the intelligence community in very real, tangible ways to, to protect your life and those of your, your brothers. Um, as someone who understands just how uh, precious uh, intelligence can be, um, I'm wondering if it bothers you that there was apparently uh, classified information in an unsecured location at Mar-a-Lago. We, we know that one box was labeled TSSCI. That's top secret, sensitive, compartmented information. Yeah. Well, look, you know me, Jake, and I'm not one to withhold criticism uh, and, and even make my own side mad. I, I want to get to the truth. And, but I will be honest with you here. It, it, this, it, it's hard to justify what the Department of Justice did here, in my opinion. And, and here's why. Here's, here's what it really boils down to. It, it's, it's, it's not a question that it's bad to have classified material in a, in a non-SCIF environment, right? It's, so that's a non-secret compartmentalized infrastructure there. That's wrong. But there's ways to, to, to mitigate that. There, there's ways to resolve that issue. And I, I still haven't seen any evidence that he was even at, that Trump was even asked to give these documents back. He's been cooperating with them on these issues for a while now, for months. And so why take it to this extreme extent? And I think that's why you're seeing so much backlash from Republicans. You're seeing, a co- you're seeing everyone coalesce. It doesn't matter what side of the issue they're, they're mm. on with Trump. You've seen a lot coalesce around this one because it does seem unjust. And there does seem to be a long history of, of loss of credibility at the Department of Justice uh, at the hands of Democrats. And I, and I think people are rightfully frustrated about that. I think there are, well, first of all, I think there are a lot of Hillary Clinton folks who would argue that, you know, they don't think that they were treated well by the FBI. Absolutely. So, so it just gets to the point, though. So, but what I'll say is, and look, you're right, there's a lot we don't know. Um, so I can't defend anything. But I will say, you know, it did go to a magistrate judge. The FBI director signed off on it. He was appointed by Trump. There was concern, according to the documents that have been released, uh, about whether or not information would be destroyed. So, I, look, a healthy skepticism about law enforcement and FBI raids is always fine and welcome as far as I'm concerned. Um, but aren't law enforcement, isn't law enforcement isn't in a sense proven guilty as well? It, yeah, again, people signing off on it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't, that it has precedent. It doesn't. This is, this is a very unprecedented measure. And you know that when you're going after an ex-president who may run again, that this is, this is automatically political. You, can't, you cannot separate the, 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 the legal aspects of this from the political aspects of it. You can't. And it doesn't seem to me like they've acted responsibly as a result of that. And look, again, why not just ask him? 
Why not just ask him? Didn't they? I thought they'd been negotiating and I, trying to get the information from him. And, 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 and he, he cooperated. But he, he didn't turn over boxes and boxes of material as far as the Justice Department says. But, but he's been cooperating, and, he, and, and I think he's on the record saying, whatever you need from us, just ask. It's great to see you guys. I mean, it was a very friendly environment. But his lawyer said There's they didn't no have reason. any more classified information, and the Justice Department said, yes, you do. And they went and got it. Got it. And the only reason we know about the raid was because Donald Trump announced it. Right. Well, I think we would have figured it out even if he hadn't. But look, yes, the lawyers, lawyers did sign that document. They have nothing left. Now, that's either a huge mistake on part of the lawyers. Um, but even if, it, even if it was nefarious, again, why not say, hey, we don't believe you. Now let us come back and let's go through these boxes again. There's tons of boxes here. I mean, do, we, do, do any of us really believe that Donald Trump is like reading his nuclear secrets on his bedside at night? Like, I, I, you know, there's an intent question here. And if you're going, and if you're going to use the Espionage Act, and if you're going to, and if you're going to pursue this criminal investigation, you have to prove intent, and that doesn't seem likely in this case, right? Especially when this person has been cooperating extensively in a very friendly manner, and so that's why a lot of us jump to the conclusion that this is highly politicized because it was so unnecessary to do an armed raid to resolve this particular issue that could have been resolved very easily otherwise. I think a lot of Justice Department people would, would take issue with your descriptions, um, but I'm not here to defend the Justice Department. I do want to note that your, your criticism is, is fairly measured. Um, I can't say the same about every Republican in Congress, and you've been willing to criticize them, Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, one of your favorites, uh, who called to defund the FBI after the Mar-a-Lago raid. Um, federal prosecutors have since charged a Pennsylvania man this week after he wrote on social media, if you work on the, for the FBI, you deserve to die. Obviously, that armed man yeah. tried to enter the FBI office in Ohio. There's a Republican congressional candidate, Carl, Carl Palladino, endorsed by Elise Stefanik, uh, who said that Attorney General Merrick Garland should probably be executed. I mean, that, that rhetoric, I'm sure, bothers you. Oh, yeah, it's- it's, it's crazy. And it makes us seem like extremist Democrats, right? And so Marjorie and AOC can go join the defund the law enforcement club if they want. 99% of Republicans are not on that train. What we want is accountability. We want transparency. And these and the criticisms that we're leveling against the FBI and DOJ are, are fully warranted. It is, it is not those criticisms that lead to a crazy person uh, you know, attacking an FBI. Oh, no, I'm not saying right. that. I'm talking about people who are like saying kill FBI or... No, it's, it's completely wrong, right? Yeah. It, it's, com- it's completely wrong, but that's not where 99% of Republicans are at, of course. And, and, it, and I'll tell you what frustrates Republicans when you hear that kind of criticism is, last time I checked, you know, you had even the, the White House spokesperson saying, yes, people should be out uh, protesting in front of Supreme Court justices' homes, even after Brett Kavanaugh, that uh, is life-threatened by this. And so, you know, there's, there's a double standard that frustrates the Republicans uh, quite a bit when we, when we talk about these issues. Again, doesn't make it right. I like to be on the side of it's all bad no matter who's saying it. Right. Let me ask you another question that's important for, uh, for all Americans, but especially in Texas. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, says Texas has now bust nearly 1,000 uh, undocumented migrants from the border in Texas to New York City in the last two weeks. There's an immigration researcher at Syracuse who said that Abbott is doing these migrants, these undocumented uh, individuals, a favor and, quote, practically ensuring that these migrants will be allowed to stay in the country because immigration judges in New York tend to be more lenient than immigration judges in Texas. What, what do you make of this yeah. stunt, this move, whatever you want to call it, by Abbott? Well, look, what he's doing is he's sending a message. I, I, that, that, there's no secret there, right? This isn't a policy move. This is, this is a move of desperation to get someone to pay attention to what we're dealing with in Texas. You know, which is why I support it. Yeah, so we're, will they have a more likely likelihood of staying in the country? Look, basically everyone who's crossing our border has that same likelihood. There's millions upon, there's almost 2 million, I think, we're at at apprehensions just this year. That's an unprecedented number. 
huge amount of those will stay in the country because the backlogs in our system are so severe that that's going to happen anyway. And when we're talking about the New York and D.C. busing, we're talking about a, a few thousand immigrants. That's what we deal with on a daily basis in South Texas. So look, what, what he's doing, I think, is out of desperation, and it's highly necessary because somebody has to solve this problem. This is, this is an infringement on our sovereignty. It's an infringement on our rule of law. And you know what? It's, it's, it's unfair and it's immoral to the millions upon millions of good law-abiding immigrants or asylum seekers around the world that have no chance of getting into our system because of the backlog that, that people are creating because they're geographically close to the United States and they can just walk across. It's not fair. I want to talk to you about Afghanistan, too, because um, we're, we're, you know, in this month, it's a one-year anniversary since the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. There was a lot of concern about the fallout uh, for Homeland Security and for U.S. intelligence with the withdrawal. Now, the Biden administration has since said that um, the U.S. intelligence agencies under Biden, that al-Qaeda has not reconstituted. Obviously, the Biden administration, working with uh, the Pentagon and intelligence partners, were, were able to take out al-Zabahiri. Um, how great is the direct terrorist threat, uh, given uh, the withdrawal? It, on, from a 30,000-foot view, it yeah. doesn't look bad, uh, given the fact that al-Qaeda has not reconstituted. And, you know, al-Qaeda's number two, number one, was taken out. Depends on who you talk to. I mean, you know, General Petraeus was, was just on, uh, on the record this week talking about how, well, look, it's ISIS that is, that is really the threat and really has the resources right now. The other thing that's clear from the Zawahiri strike, which fully support, I'm glad the administration did that, but here's what's clear about that. The Taliban has been harboring him. Right? This was in a wealthy neighborhood in Kabul. The Taliban's been going door to door all over Afghanistan for a, a year now. They knew where he was. They knew where they were harboring him. It was, it was part of the reason that we, that we believed that the Taliban were never going to adhere to the deal that even the Trump administration made. Okay, so, you know, what, what frustrates me about Afghanistan, is, generally speaking, is that we didn't learn any lessons in the last 20 years. And our, our politicians and our leaders never told the American people the, 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 the complicated truth about what's happening there. It's not this normal war where it's us, say, versus Saddam Hussein, and there's a uniformed opposition versus us. And then there's a clear winner and loser at the end of and when you sign a treaty. That's not what this ever was, right? You were attacked, and then you either took revenge or you sought to prevent it from ever happening again. And our policy was to seek to prevent it from ever happening again, and that requires resources, requires building up capacity with our allies, and that's complicated and it's messy. And some people call it nation building, you can call it capacity building, stability operations, whatever you call it, it's tough. And over 20 years, we sort of figured out that right balance, where we're, where we're actually investing very minimal resources. We hadn't lost a, a single soldier in over a year. Um, we, we had very few troops there, and we had a strategic Bagram Air Base, um, not just for counterterrorism operations, but it's close to Pakistan, it's close to Iran, it's close to China. Yeah. And then we just give it up. Why? Because of these emotional cries to you know, bring the troops home, no more endless wars. And instead of, instead of addressing the complexities of this issue and understanding what national defense is, which does involve uh, forward deployed presence, uh, a connection with allies, building, building capacity with them so that I'm not the guy going losing my eye to do it. And we lost it all. Congressman Dan Crenshaw, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. Are Democrats poised to, in fact, keep the Senate? Maybe even add seats? We're going to take a look at the numbers with our panel. That's next. I would love to have a couple more Democrats in the Senate so that we can pass the rest of President Biden's economic agenda. There's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. 
Welcome back to State of the Union. Our panel is here with me now to talk about this. Uh, I never really thought about a month or two ago that we'd be talking about whether or not Democrats can not only keep the Senate, but but potentially even pick up seats. Uh, but look at these four new Fox News polls over the last few weeks showing Democrats gaining traction in key Senate races. Democrats up 11 in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, up eight in Arizona, up four, though that we should note that's within the margin of error in Wisconsin and Georgia. Uh, David Urban, uh, do you agree with Republican leader Mitch McConnell's assessment that the problem here is is candidate quality, as he put it? Listen, candidates matter in any race, right? So people are going to look at the candidates. They're going to they're, people vote for candidates much more so than issues. And I think that um, a, a lot of these candidates are having a tough time getting some traction, right? In, in Pennsylvania, I think those numbers aren't correct. I think Mehmet Oz is much, much closer than 11 points. I think that's going to be a, a race that's, you know, the Commonwealth, it's going to be a point or two. Sure. And, and these other states, I think they're, they're going to narrow. As we get closer to election day, these are going to be very close races. And the Senate is going to be very close. I don't think that the, I think that the likelihood you're going to have a big pickup by Republicans or Democrats on any side, either side is going to win big is, is not going to happen. It's going to be a close race. And I think this doesn't include like sleepers. I'm a big fan here of Tiffany Smiley. I know this is a race. Washington that, State. Washington yeah. State against yeah. Patty Murray. Don't sleep on Tiffany Smiley. That's going to be a very close race. No one's talking about it really outside of the state. Yeah. Those things no one's looking at right now. Karen, what do you think? It Uh is, I mean, it is, (laughs) I I tend to agree with David that I think Pennsylvania is and will be much closer. I think they're all going to be close and Democrats can't take anything for granted. However, we have a couple things in our favor. Number one, many of these Republicans have come through primaries where they were focused on grievance, loyalty to Trump. Now we're hearing about defund the FBI and the contrast Candidates do matter, but the contrast that Democrats are now able to make between what they're talking about, inflation reduction, at lowering uh, you know, prescription drug costs, infrastructure, a number of things that we can talk about and say to voters, you came out, you voted, here are the results. This is why you, we want to be returned to do more, as you heard from the Congresswoman. And on the other side, Republicans are, what are they talking about? What is their agenda? And I will say, Talking about a national ban on abortion, that is mobilizing not just Democratic voters, but as we saw in Kansas, non-affiliated and Republican voters. Yeah, especially Republican women. A hundred percent. Alyssa, Washington Post uh, columnist Megan McArdle has a new column out this morning uh, about how Trump and Trump voters are hurting their own cause in the midterm. But one of the things she writes is Trump has been meddling in race after race, deterring strong candidates such as Larry Hogan in Maryland and Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, while elevating weak and inexperienced ones such as Blake Masters and Dr. Oz. Do you agree? Yeah, it's absolutely correct. I mean, candidates matter. It's the, the you know, the oldest cliche in the book. But I would say this, um, you know, who makes for a good general election candidate is very different than who's most likely to cater to the base in these primaries. Doug Ducey in Arizona would be skating to re- to election, in my opinion, against Mark, versus, Kelly. against Mark Kelly versus someone like a Blake Masters who's going to have an uphill battle. To Karen's point, we need to see if some of these maybe more fringe candidates, first time um, office holders are able to pivot to an actual forward looking message. Are they going to talk about gas prices, the economy, jobs, or is it going to be a lot of 2020 was stolen, you know, defund the FBI? And that's kind of, that's going to be the question of how successful these are. You're from Michigan, uh, where the governor is up for re-election there. This is playing out in in a similar way. That's right. The the hard part here is that Republicans think they have a message in pointing to gas prices or pointing to energy costs. But to be frank, the Democrats have done a lot of good uh, in terms of what can reduce energy costs, bringing gas prices down. And it's, it's hard to point to something when we know that the discussion that Republicans keep having out of their primary, even into the general, 
uh, has all to do with these cultural war issues that just don't resonate with people. So you can't point to gas prices and point to energy costs and then be talking about trying to ban abortion. You know, the other thing is Trump clearly is going to loom large between now and November. He is not going away. And that is harder for the Republican candidates because the more they are having to either defend Donald Trump or say if they agree, which leans into reminding particularly moderate voters and those independents, that's why they voted for Joe Biden. They are sick of the chaos. So again, I think that's the other factor we have to remember here. Second thing, in the fall, lots of state legislatures already have abortion bans ready to go. That is going to continue to mobilize and motivate Again, these women who want reproductive freedom. Yeah, I was going to agree with Karen. L- listen, I think in years to in years to Democrat, excuse me, in years to Republicans, that we talk about issues, right? That we don't fight on on, on cultural big issues. We don't defend um, think the twenty twenty election. If we talk about in Pennsylvania, if if, if Doctor Oz gets to speak about the differences in his platform versus John Fetterman's platform, those numbers are going to change dramatically. I think in favor of Republicans. If Republicans stick to the issues. That they, that they know and win on, they're going to do very, very well. If they're fighting meme wars, right, if you're going to fight a meme war about um, silly, you know, social media posts, and that's what's happening, the Democrats are being able to dictate the terms of these races, yeah. Yeah. you know, they're going to win. Republicans and need I to get think, back and talk about issues. And I think it's important, sorry, real quick, for Republicans to acknowledge who are going to be the Republican kingmakers in the midterms. Mitch McConnell has a huge slush fund through the SLF that he's going to come forward and back some of these races where, by the way, I don't think Mitch McConnell's dying to have J.D. Vance in the Senate, but he understands it's critical to his majority. But you've got some in the base saying we need to ditch Mitch McConnell. So there's this kind of... Including Blake Mass. Including Blake right. Here's where I worry. I worry that Democrats aren't going to press the advantage. That Democrats are just going to point to the body of work and say that's enough. I, I think Democrats right now need to press the advantage. They need to go further. I was just having dinner with a young couple. And they were talking about how student loans are, corrupt, are, are, are really crushing them. There's so much more that the president can do to press the advantage, to demonstrate how he's I love addressing that. the challenges. Let's talk about the issues. Yeah, I, think Republicans, <laughs> I think Republicans win on the issues right. every day. Let's talk about <laughs> it. Thanks one and all for being here. Really appreciate it. Great to see uh, all of you. Coming up, how proud Ukrainians are fighting back against Vladimir Putin on stage. Stay with us. Tonight on CNN, an important special report by my co-host Dana Bash about rising anti-Semitism. Dana sits down with Jason Greenblatt, a Jewish man who was one of Donald Trump's lawyers for decades. Did you feel a special responsibility to go to him when you saw those things happening? I did. Can you give me an example? Uh, the David Duke thing during the campaign. Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists in this election? Well, just so you understand, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I, I saw what was happening, I guess, as a result of Jake's interview, and I said, look, this is what's happening. Here's what David Duke actually said. Do you stand for this? And he said, absolutely not. So he dictated a condemnation. And why do you think he didn't get it in the moment? Not everybody knows David Duke, as silly as that sounds, but maybe he didn't understand what was being asked of him. Very hard to say. The reason why his statements still hit people so hard It's because pulling that out of him required so much effort. Donald Trump is complicated. He has a Jewish daughter and son-in-law. He has Jewish grandchildren. There has never been a president in the history of the republic as personally close as the Jewish people as Donald Trump. And things like the Abraham Accords 
These were really important. And yet at the same time, when asked to call out white supremacists, stand back and stand by. And when he stood there days after Charlottesville and said, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. The neo-Nazis knew exactly what he meant. His attitude, his language, the choices that he made ushered in this hate. Excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. So Jason Greenblatt, he argues that if you read all of the remarks in that Charlottesville press conference, he did condemn the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists. And I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. If Donald Trump convincingly, consistently, clearly called out the extremists and the anti-Semites, it wouldn't even matter what he said in that moment. Make sure to tune into Dana's special report, Rising Hate, Anti-Semitism in America, at 9 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN. And we want to leave you on this note. Yuri Shevchenko died in Kiev, Ukraine on March 23rd, a well-known Ukrainian composer. He was reportedly sheltering in a basement from the Russian assault on the city when he caught pneumonia and later died. He was 68 years old, yet another victim of Vladimir Putin's war, targeting not just Ukraine's cities and its people, but its culture. But Ukrainians are fighting back on the battlefield, and in concert halls around the world. The Ukrainian Freedom Orchestra is leading what President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine calls the artistic resistance against Russia. It's the brainchild of Canadian-Ukrainian conductor Carrie Lynn Wilson. We're on a mission to fight on the cultural front for Ukraine, for its freedom, for its independence. As soldiers of music, I like to call by musicians to galvanize audiences in the Western world to stay resolved and in solidarity with Ukraine. As one musician told the New York Times, quote, I don't have a gun, but I have my cello. Last night, the orchestra concluded a 12-city international tour at the Kennedy Center here in Washington, D.C., in front of a sold-out crowd. The message is very clear to Putin and his regime that Ukrainian culture is strong, it's vital, and you cannot silence it or erase it. Yuri Shevchenko may be gone, but his music is not. Here now is his arrangement of the Ukrainian national anthem entitled, We Do Exist, performed by the Ukrainian Freedom Orchestra. Our thanks to the Kennedy Center and the Ukrainian Freedom Orchestra. Fareed Zakaria GPS starts next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.